We're in church. How many, how you guys doing this morning? That's right. Church is a good place to be. The house is packed. It's full. God's doing good things in our midst. And, uh, and so it's, it's a good thing, man. Our church is growing. We're thriving. We got, everybody's inviting friends. I'm loving it. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, God is up to some good stuff in our midst. Speaking of good stuff, we got love and laughter coming up here. That's right. The women are like, yeah, let's do it. So the love and laughter is a ladies' event that happens here at the church. If, if you are a woman, you would got to be there. It's, it looks amazing. One, no, I'm never going to make it, but that's okay. Listen, um, if we haven't met yet, if you're visiting, if you're new, my name is Matt, and my wife Amber and I are the pastors here at the church, and uh, we'd love to get to know you. And, and that first step to getting connected is you can actually text the word guest into our text system. And so you can text guest, the word guest to that number, and it comes right into the office. And then we're able to kind of help get you going on next steps and say hi, get to be friends, and get to know each other a little bit. If you came prepared to give today, you can also do that electronically, or you can do that with a check or with cash in the drop boxes that are there. You know, no, we give generously because God's given so generously to us. And so we get, you know, God so loved us that we start loving other people. We start receiving from him. We become a conduit of his love and grace and his money and, and, and everything else and the resources that he has for us. In fact, the Bible talks about giving, and there's a commandment side of the giving, but it says to be a joyful giver. And so as we give to the Lord, we should be givers who are both following the commandments of God, but also doing it from an attitude and a heart of joy. And so actually, I'm going to pray over the offering this morning. Heavenly Father, we just pray for the finances that come into this church. God, uh, God, you have a great work in front of us. And so God, I ask that you would help those dollars to come in and help them to be able to be, have exponential impact everywhere that they are used, both in our city, in our church, in our city, and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, guys, we're kicking off a brand new series, and it's called Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. You know, they, they, uh, they had a, uh, a big rally because they were trying to bring awareness to social anxiety, and so they said, we're just going to have a huge rally for social anxiety. They planned this massive event, and nobody showed up. <coughs> Be anxious for nothing. Like, is that even possible? Right? Like, think about it. Is it even possible to be anxious for nothing, to have zero anxiety at all in your life? Right? We live in this world, we look around, and, and, and it's so hard to, to battle anxiety from time to time. And, and, and you can look around. I mean, it is, there's, there's things going on around us. It's like, how can I not be anxious? Right? There's, there, there's mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting. How can I not be anxious? Our country's kind of in this world of almost like a political unrest right now because so many people are so angry in politics. It's like, how can I not be anxious? Everybody's talking about the economy, like it could take off or it could crash or it could go up or down. There's always somebody saying it's gonna go one way or the other, but how can I not be anxious? Family drama, I've got stuff going on in my home life or in my family, both local and extended. How can I not be anxious? Listen, I got to tell you, sometimes you can feel anxious and anxiety can come up to the place where you think, I don't have a nervous system, I am a nervous system, right? Like it can get to that place where it builds up and it's like your identity is almost wrapped up in it. If you can start to spin up into this place of being out of control. But here's what I've learned, here's what I know, that anxiety is actually a symptom. Anxiety is not actually the, the, the root, anxiety is a symptom. Let me explain it to you this way. If you're feeling anxiety coming into your life, it's like the light that comes on your dashboard that says something's wrong with your engine. The light bulb isn't the problem. The light bulb is telling you there's something wrong in the engine. 
Do you know what's funny is, is there are literally hundreds and hundreds of things that could be wrong in the engine that cause that little light to come on. Just because you're dealing with anxiety, dealing with anxiety and feeling anxiety and anxious, that in itself is not a sin. I just want you to know, like, if you start to feel nervous about something, the Bible says and gives us a pattern on a way that we can trust the Lord, and there's a way out of anxiety, but what you do with that anxiety is what matters. So the anxiety is the light bulb that comes on from the result of something else going on in your life. And then when that light bulb comes on, what you do with that light bulb is is, is what matters. How are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? If you're pulling out a magnifying glass in order to zoom into that light bulb, and, and, and if that light bulb becomes your identity as a person, I would say that, that you're heading the wrong direction. But the Bible has a lot to say about anxiety. It has a lot to say about which way we're going to go. And anxious for nothing is a verse that we're going to talk about. But anxious for nothing, it just seems like it's impossible. You see, feeling anxious is signaling that there's danger for your survival. Like it's a natural human reaction. The danger might not even be real, though. Have you ever been so worked up about something only to discover that it wasn't even real to begin with? Right? Yeah, and then you realize that all the energy that you wasted, the time that you put into it, the stress and the worry. If you're a Christian, the, the amount of time you spent on your knees praying and asking God for help with this thing, and, and then you get to the end of it and you realize the whole thing was something in your head that wasn't even real to begin with. We've all done it. We've all been there. We've all been worried and stressed out and and become anxious over something that was actually nothing. Anxiety is a symptom of the problem. They did a study just recently, and it says the average person's anxiety is based on a few different things. So the average person's anxiety is based, 40% of it is based on things that will never happen. 40% is things that will never happen. 30%, things about the past that, that can't be changed. Oh, I hate that. Don't you hate that? I might be the only guy, but, but I start to replay the thing that happened like two months ago. Have you ever replayed that conversation four and a half years ago in your brain and like started to like criticize yourself for something that happened? I'm the only guy. Okay, I get you. That's cool. You guys got it. We're good. We're good. This is just a confessional for me then. But, but you know, like if you ever replayed something in your past and, and you start to like beat yourself up over, you can't even change it, right? There's nothing you could do to, to, to change the past, but 30% of our anxiety, it says that, are, is wrapped up in things in the past that can't be changed. 12% are things about criticism by others. Criticism by others, which, which mostly isn't true, by the way, right? Mostly isn't true. And in the internet day and age, if you stand out in any way, shape, or form, somebody will criticize you for something, Somebody just wrote this week on my Facebook, do you always look that screwed up or is what's going on, right? You know, and I'm like, yes, I'm always this ugly. Good thing Jesus looks at the heart, right? You know, and, and, and it's like, you know, right? It's like, it's, you know, but you're always somebody out there who's going to throw criticism. And I know it isn't true. Like, I know I'm a supermodel, right? And, and so I don't have to worry about that thing, you know? And my wife thinks I'm hot, so I'm good. That's all that matters, right? But like, but somebody's going to be throwing criticism at you all the time. Most of the time, it isn't true. Most of the time, it isn't true. And every time, every once in a while, there is some criticism that is true. It's really a sliver of it is truth, and the majority of it is actually not, most of the time. What are we anxious about? 10% about health, which happens to get worse with stress, <laughs> ironically. And about 
8% is about the real problems that we will actually face. 8% of our anxiety is based on some sort of truth that we will actually have to deal with. Listen, guys, this is important. I'm going to be talking about anxiety over the next four weeks. And, and it's like one monster sermon that I had to divide into four different sections. And, and we're going to be talking about anxiety. And it's important because so many times we can start to feel stressed. And we can let the stress and anxiety and the cares of this world, the things that are around us, build up to a place where it crushes us, where it paralyzes us, puts us in a place where we can't even function. And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I read about a Jesus who sets us free. He sets us free from things of this world. He sets us free so that we can live a life that is free and full of life. That we can be a life-giving person that we can receive from the Father and be able to give. And if we are beating ourselves up and beat down because of anxiety, it limits how much of a blessing we can be to those around us. Listen, Jesus came to set you free, and that even means the anxiety that comes into our life from time to time. So we start to analyze the options. We think about the implications we start to worry about what other people think. You replay the scenario so many times that you don't even remember what the truth was in the beginning. You've, you've replayed it and you thought, well, if I had said this, then they might have said that. And you over and over and over and over. Can't even remember what the actual thing that happened. It's like your kids when they make monsters out of the shadows. Making monsters out of the shadows. You see, our thoughts can become our worries. And our worries can become our thoughts, which become our worries, which become our thoughts, which become our worries, which become our thoughts. And there's this pattern of, of you have your mind on this, and then you have this thing on your mind. And I think Snoop Dogg said, it, I have my money on my mind and my, my mind on my, my money. And, and he, he, in his rap song, right, it drove him to a drinking problem, specifically gin and juice. But, but, you know, like the, the anxiety can start to drive us to things, right? It can start to push us to areas where you start to see anxiety pushes people into yet another levels of addiction. You see it all the time. They, they need something to calm down the brain. They need something to, to bring peace over their, their mind. And, and, and so maybe they tip the bottle just a little bit. Or they take those pills that they shouldn't be taking or, they, or they're smoking this or they're doing that. Listen, almost all the time the, the addiction process starts because you're trying to numb the pain or, or calm the anxiety or bring down the activity of the brain in order to be able to get some peace and some rest. But church, we follow a God who is called the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but he's also the Prince of Peace. Guys, we have a, a source that we can tap into that can, we can get into the peace. We don't have to start to turn to alternative substances to be able to bring that peace into our life. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be diving deep into this idea of anxiety. And the theme verse that we're going to is this. It's, it's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You can open it in your Bible. You can look at it on the screens. You can... Look at it on your phone, however you want to do it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, about anything. Some translations say be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Say every situation. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God. Hmm. Come on. The peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Yeah, sure, Pastor Matt, it's easy to read that out of the Bible. You just know he was a pastor just like you. He works one hour a week. He's, he's sitting. <laughs> you guys know that's not true. But, but you know, like, like he's, you know, who's, who's writing this? Let me tell you who's writing this. This is a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. The citizens of Philippi would have been known as Philippians. And he's writing this letter from prison. From prison. He's literally in prison writing a letter. What do you think about this, right? Like his passion is evident. His passion is evident. He doesn't want to be stuck in prison. He actually wants to be with the people in their presence, encouraging them, uplifting them, preaching and teaching and, and, and helping to lead the churches that are growing. His passion is not to be in prison. Prison is not any place where it's just, you know, rainbows and sunshine and lollipops and flowers. Prison's rough. I haven't been there yet, but I've seen the TV shows. Hopefully never show up there. I said yet, but hopefully I'm never in prison. The only way I'm going to end up in prison is if somebody mistreats my daughter. <coughs> Paul is writing this from prison. His passion is to be out. He might die in prison. Or worse, right? Like, or, or worse, you might live through something and have to continue living with the trauma of what just happened in prison. You got a shank to the side, but you lived, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Be anxious for nothing. Is it even possible? Is it even possible? We actually live in the age of anxiety, I think. What's interesting is, is when you start to look at, at the generations um, as they start to go through life, you, you start to see that, that the, 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 uh, the, as the generations are, are going down in age, the levels of anxiety are actually going up the younger that people are. We have this situation where, well, I'll put it to you this way. My wife and I went out on a date last night, and yeah, that's right. And, and we went on a date last night and we went out to dinner and, and we were noticing how there were different people in the restaurant. And, and, and the, the, old, the older crowd, which apparently we are part of the older crowd in this restaurant, we're in the older crowd, no phones out. We're talking with each other face to face and we're engaging. And as, the, as the, the age demographic in the room went younger, the percentage of phone interaction was at the same thing. People are taking pictures of their meals and they're, they're, they're sharing it on social media. Because you know, if you didn't post it, it didn't actually happen. We live in this this world, and I'm not knocking it, right? But we live in this world where everybody is comparing themselves to other people, and it has become more and more prevalent um, and and easier to access the younger that you go down in age because social media has created this culture and this environment. The baby boomers were worried about keeping up with the Joneses, right? Oh, who are the Joneses? The Joneses were the people that were down the block across the street, maybe friends of yours at school. You, you saw them in their, their new car, and so you thought, mm, man, that new car looks nice. I'm trying to maybe keep up with them. And so keeping up with the Joneses, well, here's the problem is, is that um, this generation now has 700 million Joneses at their fingertips that they can be comparing themselves to. They can go on a hashtag. I mean, you can right now, too, pull out your phone, do a hashtag on a social media site of anything that you want. And you can go to Broncos fans because, you know, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Where are my Broncos fans at? Yeah, that's right. That's right. God's team. We know it's God's team. Cowboys, they can, they can be America's team. I don't care. You know, but the God's team, because, you know, God, Raiders, oh, <laughs> get out. So, um, 
the, but you know, but I, like, I can go look at the Broncos team and I can go look and compare myself literally with millions of people and compare like how much of a fan am I? And, and I can start to compare myself. Is my face going to be painted the bright colors of orange and blue? And, and how crazy can I get into my football gear? Right? No matter what it is, if you're a cooker, if you're a cooker, a baker, and you're baking cakes, you can go onto Pinterest and Instagram and you can find people who are exponentially better than you are at any point in time. And you can start to beat yourself up and deal with anxiety. Listen, we have more anxiety at our fingertips today right now than we had at maybe any point in history. It's something that we're dealing with. <coughs> it's interesting. We have significant stress. <clears throat> I, look at, I look at young people today and I think, you got to graduate high school and the pressure is there. It was there when I was, when I was around. It was there when you were around too, let's be honest. At towards your senior year of high school, everybody was like, well, what are you going to do? What's your career going to be? I don't, I don't really know. What college are you going to go to? I'm not, I'm not really sure. It just gets picking up and picking up. And then you get out of high school and you say, well, I'm going to go to this college. And then you have people who will tell you that that's not a good college. And you're like, well, I already picked it. So I'm going anyway. Like, what am I going to, like, what am I going to, Thanks. Now I feel great about my choices, you know? And then you go and you go in there and then you're gonna pick it. Everybody's like, well, what are you gonna be when you grow up? You know, are, are you picking the right classes? Is that the right teacher? Like the pressure that's on young people as you grow up. And, and every one of us in the room has been that person who's been that young person who's felt that pressure. I don't, I don't care if you're 100 years old here this morning when, when you were going through that season, people are giving you pressure. <coughs> what are you gonna do? <coughs> I, sorry, I, I don't do this very often. A little something in my throat. And so, like, what are you going to do? The anxiety is there. The pressure is there. Oh, my gosh. Needed that one there. A few years ago, I mean, honestly, it's so unprofessional. A few years ago, <laughs> a few years ago, um, I actually had a major panic attack, like mental breakdown because of anxiety and pressure that was building in my life. And for some of you in the room, you can look back and see the moments where you had maybe crushing anxiety that paralyzed you. It hit me hard. It hit me in a moment. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. One text message hit my phone and boom, my whole world internally collapsed. I found myself in the fetal position on the front seat of my car crying because I didn't know why. It didn't make any sense. It wasn't logical. Anxiety isn't logical, folks. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. When you're telling somebody you're dealing with anxiety and they're like, well, just think happy thoughts and get over it, you know? You're like, that isn't how it works, bro. You know, it, 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 anxiety isn't logical. And so to logical way your way out of it sometimes is just not really easy to do, which is why we need Jesus and we need a miracle. That's why we need a supernatural intervention to our natural crisis. Because the natural solution to our natural crisis, um, there are some ways out of anxiety. I'm not saying there aren't, but I'm saying that if you can have a supernatural intervention into your natural crisis, it can get, you can get out of that thing so much faster. And so I find myself in this massive breakdown. I was actually in bed for three days and shut off my phone and everybody's calling my wife. and like, like, was Matt going to be okay? What's happening? And she's like, I think so. Just pray. You know? and, and, and I had this, this massive internal collapse. I went to see a professional, Christian psychologist, like professional Christian psychologist. I, I want to tell you today that if you are in the middle of a crisis in your life, it's okay to see a professional Christian psychologist. I want you to know that. If you need a recommendation, I know a guy. He's really good. <laughs> He's really good. 
Listen, there, it's, it's okay. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with seeking wise counsel. The Bible talks about seeking wise counsel all the time. And so to go sit down with somebody who is a believer who understands the word of God and, 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 and also took all the classes, understand how the mind works in and, and the natural, who could meld those two together, I'm telling you, why wouldn't you go to talk to somebody? Sometimes in Christian circles, that can almost be demonized, right? It can almost be like, oh, you went to see a psychologist? Yeah, I went to see a psychologist, a Christian one. So hopefully that can free someone here today that maybe, maybe you need to go see somebody. Go do it. I got a guy. He's great. And, and so here's the thing, right? So all this anxiety and stuff starts to, starts to build. And I, I preach this sermon from the place of, of having walked the path. Sometimes preachers, myself included, can come across on a Sunday like, this is what God's word says and works like a superhero who's never dealt with this. And if, if you can't do this, then, then just read the Bible more and pray more. And, 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 and listen, I want to tell you that, that I want to be real that like, I, I deal with this. This is real. Anxiety is something that, that is, a, is a battle. And for some people, they battle it more than others. And, and so it's something that we all have to struggle with from time to time. In fact, if you look in the Bible, Elijah in the Bible, in the Bible struggled with anxiety. He, he was a guy that, that struggled with it. He was a prophet. He was a leader in, 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 the, in the country. And, and he, was a, he, he struggled with it. In fact, you can see this. We're going to be in, in a... First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, if you want to start turning there. But you start to see in, in chapter 18 where Elijah starts to battle the prophets of Baal. Baal would be the, the, uh, the uh, inferior god that they were uh, idol that they were worshiping at the time. And, and, and so they're battling this, this thing. And so King Ahab, who was an evil king, he had killed all the other prophets. There's a few more that were hidden in caves, but, but primarily they chased down, hunted down, and killed all of God's prophets in the country. Elijah thought he was the only one left. He was the only one around. <coughs> and, and so the showdown ends up coming. There was, there was this drought on the land, and, and, and then all the drama comes leading up to this one point where there's a showdown. And, and so Elijah tells King Ahab, and he says, well, why don't, why don't you bring um, your prophets, and I'll represent God, and we'll just see who can handle business. And so 850 prophets of Baal show up to this meeting versus one guy, Elijah. Elijah stood down 850 men with swords. He, he stood them down. Like, he didn't have to fight them. They, they made up some rules of, of engagement and what they're going to do. And, and what happened in this story is that God sent fire from heaven and came down and, and absolutely dominated the scene to where 850 prophets, they ended up killing them all and getting rid of them all. <coughs> so King Ahab, he goes back to his castle. He's pretty mad. They just killed 850 of my dudes. And he tells his wife, his wife's name was Jezebel. Oh, we've heard that name before, haven't we? Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard like Jezebel, oh, she's a Jezebel. Here's where it comes from is, 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 is this, this whole situation right here in, in 1 Kings. So Jezebel's mad about the prophets. And so he says, she says, I'm going to kill you. In fact, she makes a commitment in the beginning of, of, of chapter 19 that says, I think she gives herself like 72 hours and says, I promise I will kill you within the next 72 hours. And Elijah's, you know, he's, he's tore up about it. He's like, what am I going to do? 
and he runs. <coughs> he takes off. How is it that he can fight and stare down 850 grown men, and then one woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he freaks out? Right? Husbands know what I'm talking about. You... I don't know, you go to work, right? You do battle at work, don't you, right? You got, you got men in, in, in cubicles and, and you're sending the emails and, and, and you're doing battle after battle after battle, right? You're doing sales pitches and, and you're getting told no, but then you're getting yes and then you're selling and you're closing the deal. You're, you're working, you're working. You're, you're like, oh, I just dominated at work all day and then you come home and your wife's upset with you. You know the, how, you're like, oh no, I, I, and that'll, that'll mess you up, right? It'll mess you up. You know how that is. And so this is what happens is he's now fight off 850 men and, and he's seen the power of God show up in an insane way. Fire falls from heaven and absolutely destroys this altar thing that, that they had set up in a, bat, in a competition. 850 of these guys end up getting killed. He literally sees a massive, massive, massive show of God's power. One person says, I'm going to kill you, and it crushes him. Isn't it funny how that works in life? You can see God work in your life over and over and over again. You can see God set you free from this and that and the other. You can see God provide for your needs and ways. And you can see things happening in your life. You can look back on your past and you can see how God is consistently taking care of your needs and provided for you and, and gotten you through thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And then, and then one person, one person says something. And that's what takes you down. It's crazy. Elijah experienced nonstop protection, provision, presence, and the power of God. One grumpy woman makes a threat and he falls apart. So here we are, verse number three. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Elijah's afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He says, I've had enough. We've all been there. We've gotten to the place where we're like, I've just had enough. The ironic thing is, is, is somebody who wants to take his life, he's running away from somebody trying to kill him, and then he says, God, kill me, right? I'm telling you, it's not logical sometimes. It's not logical. What does he want to do? Does he want to live or does he want to die? And you can see his response to the pressure. I don't know if he had a panic attack. In fact, when you go to look, the distance that he ran was pretty impressive. It was like 100 miles that he went. Like, like how many? That's like four marathons or something. Three and a half marathons. He, he ran, you know, as, if you look in the map and see how far that he ran. But you see, Elijah made some common mistakes. And I want, I want to point this out because, because you and I make these same common mistakes. And sometimes if you can see what the common mistakes are, next time you're confronted with a situation, you won't make those same common mistakes. Number one is this, is, is we run ourselves into the ground. Elijah had just gone through this incredible moment. I mean, incredible moment. All good things. 
it had consumed his time. He, he had seen this massive thing happen. And, and then when the crisis hit, he just started running and running and running and running. He couldn't run any further. He actually hit a geographical barrier of water. He couldn't, he literally just ran as far as he could go. Have you ever noticed that when the biggest moments of anxiety hit you, you're kind of run down? You're kind of tired? You're exhausted? My biggest moment of anxiety came right after I was working on some huge projects, thing after thing after thing after thing. In the middle of it was actually this property. We're in the, negotiating this property and buying it and, and getting it and remodeling it and turning it into what we needed to be. And, this was, and that was like led up right to it. I was doing all this other stuff. I still had a business going at the time. I had all this different stuff. And I, I run myself absolutely ragged time-wise, energy-wise. I was exhausted. <coughs> if you're dealing with overwhelming anxiety, some of your problem, some of what you're dealing with today, isn't from today. It's from last week or last month or last year. When you fight the toughest battles in life, you get tired. And then as you get tired, your anxiety can start to take over. And you see this step and you say, yeah, okay, I've run myself down. I'm not taking care of myself. We got to rest. If God rested after making creation, um, you need to rest as well. He modeled that for us so that we would do it. Number two is we shut people out. He left his servant behind, his most loyal companion. He shut that person out. He says, you stay here. I'm going off on my own. When we start to deal with the stress and pressures of life, are you running yourself ragged trying to keep up? Are you running to try to just get yourself ahead just a little bit? Sometimes we get stuck there. We think if I can just do a little bit more, I'll have the breakthrough that I need to get past this point. And you're running yourself ragged. Are you rejecting and setting everyone else? Are you, are you leaving away, pushing away those who are closest to you? Are we shutting people out? He internalized his problem. He said, I can carry this alone. No one really understands what I'm going through. Number three is this, as we focus on the negative. Elijah said, I've had enough. He said, I'm no better than my father's. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a habitual pattern and you start to focus on the negative and say, I've always been this way. I'm always going to be this way. If you start to confess that kind of stuff with your mouth, you will always be this way. Life isn't, people say like, oh man, life isn't going to get better. It's never going to change. And I'm never going to get in the right college. Or I had a terrible mom. I am a terrible mom. I'll always be a terrible mom. And Maybe you've struggled financially and you just said, that's just, that's just my lot in life. That's just, I mean, and you start to focus on the negative and the negative starts to take over because you've got your mind on your worries and your worries are on your mind and the cycle starts to build and build and build. And the fourth thing that Elijah did, that sometimes we can do too, is that we forget God. See, every, every step of the way, every moment, every situation, God's been present. He's provided. He's protected. But Elijah forgets. It's kind of interesting when you start to read through this, even when he's running away from the situation, even when he's telling God, just end it all, take my life now. He's in this cave and it says that an angel shows up and brings him food and water to, 
to take care of his needs. Even in the midst of his darkest moment, even in the midst where he's saying, God, just kill me. I can't handle this anymore. God is still there and taking care of him. And he's present. And God's still there for you. Sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes you don't feel it. But he's there. It's funny. You look, Elijah's falling apart in this moment. He's, he's, he's falling apart. God doesn't reject him. God doesn't, doesn't go like, man, get your stuff together, son. Like, get your stuff together. What do you mean you can't? Like, didn't you just see what I did for you yesterday? Like, do I have to show you something again today? Come on, man. Like, like God's not up there condemning him. He's not up there judging him, putting him down and saying, like, I can't just keep doing this for you, man. Like, at some point in time, you're going to have to do this on your own. In fact, that, that's, that's not what God does. God says, I want you to live a life that's dependent on me. God wants you to live a life that's dependent on him. And so to recognize in the midst of our struggles that, that, are, that we don't have it all together, that's okay. And to be like, hey, I don't have it all together, but I, but I know the one who does. And I can lean on him. <clears throat> you see, God meets Elijah in his need. The band wants to come. I'm going to close in a few moments. When you go through this, you see in verse 11, see, Elijah's asking God for a sign. Will you just speak to me? Will you just show me? Will you just do something? And the Lord says, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. There was earth, wind, and fire. God wasn't in it. But after the earth, wind, and the fire came a gentle whisper. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the earth and the shaking and the quaking. The Lord wasn't in the fire. God was in the whisper. In the still, small voice. Didn't take much. Just a whisper. Sometimes we're looking for the big things of life. Looking for God to show up in big ways. And sometimes he just shows up in a whisper. And he just has to say a few things, you know. He says, you're my child. I love you. I, I see the pain that you're in and I'm here to comfort you. Let me put my arms around you. Let me hold you. It's in the whisper, in those tender moments where God really comes through. When we're overcome by stress, overcome by anxiety, why does God's voice seem so quiet? Why doesn't he speak to us in powerful, spectacular ways? Why doesn't he speak to us in ways that the whole world knows that he's speaking to us? I mean, he wants me to experience him and to, to trust him. 
Why does he whisper? He whispers because um, he's always close. See, the devil, the devil shouts lies. The devil yells and screams, look at this, look at that. Look at your family, look at your finances. Look at this, look at that. Look at the sin. Look at the thing you've been struggling with. Look at the problems you have in your life here. Look at this, look at that. The devil is shouting and screaming and and trying to get your eyes onto these other things because he knows that if he can distract you with these other things, he can get a hold of your life and you can start to, to, to get overcome by the world. But the Lord is right next to you and he's whispering. He's with you. He's here. He never leaves you, it says. He never forsakes you. He's by your side. Are you brokenhearted? He's close to the brokenhearted. Are you overwhelmed? He says that he saves those who are crushed. Struck down, maybe, but you're not abandoned because the Lord is still with you. Think about this. Elijah was so afraid of dying. That was his fear. That was what was driving him. He didn't want to, he didn't want to die. If you fast forward through, through scripture, at the end of Elijah's life, he has his protege, Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha are, are there. And, 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 and when the, 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 the mantle is being passed the, from, I'm, from Elijah to Elisha, Elijah, it says in the word that he got swept up by chariots and carried in to heaven the very thing that he was afraid of I'm going to die never happened he was literally anxious for nothing what he feared never came to pass it's interesting we get so wrapped up with anxiety and, and we get so afraid of things that are, that are in life and, 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 and oftentimes it never happens or it's not as bad as you, you have made it out to be in your mind and and your worst case scenario never actually happens. Listen, I'm here to tell you there's no storm that God won't bring you through. There's no trial that he isn't there with you. No obstacle he won't help you to overcome. No enemy that God won't defeat. And no heartache that he won't heal. Be anxious for nothing, it says. Because we have a God that's with us the entire way. Will you bow your heads and let's pray? Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you so much that, that you are with us on every step of the way. God, that you're with us in the ups and the downs and, the, and everything that we have in life, God, that, that you are with us along for the entire journey. Lord, I just ask that for everyone in the room, wherever they're at and dealing with anxiety and anxiousness, God, that, that you, would, you would meet them right where they're at. God, allow them to hear your whisper as you're sitting with them so they can get through the obstacles, the heartache, and the storms of life. As we're gathered here this morning, every head is still bowed, every eye is closed. You might be here this morning and you've, you've never felt this because you've never actually invited him to live in your heart. You've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. 
And what I know is this, is when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're asking him to be in your heart. You're asking him to be with you at all times. And you might be here this morning and and maybe at one point in time you made a decision to follow Jesus and you walked away, but today's your day and you say, I need to get this back right with God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never made that decision. Today can be your opportunity. Today is is your time. Don't, Don't let this moment pass you by because he wants to be with you always. Not just in this world, but even in the next. If that's where you're at today, you can make a decision to follow Jesus right here, right now. And here's what we're going to do is, is, is you can pray a simple prayer saying, I am making him the Lord of my life. And we'll all do it with you because we want to support you in this decision. And it's simple. We're going to pray a prayer that you're acknowledging who Jesus is and that you are choosing to make him the Lord of your life today. And so the church as a whole, let's, let's pray this prayer. And if this is new to you, you can just pray it and mean it. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for me. I'm thankful that you have died on this cross and paid for my sins. I choose to put my trust in you today. I choose to make you the Lord of my life moving forward. Help me to live for you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate those who made a decision, those who have made renewed vows. Listen, if you made a decision today, I want to know it. Will you send me a text message? We'll come right in the office. We want to help you on your next steps. And as you be decided to this number, it's right up here on the screens. You can text decided in, and then our office will get in touch with you and help you on your next steps in following Jesus. So come on, church. Will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we leave this morning.